0: Take this world, my God's enough. What a great song. Thank you for teaching us that this morning. Praise team, thanks for all of your adjustments and everything else. We've been very grateful for that. Mark, if you can move that off to the side just a little bit, that'd be great. Well, again, we come to the Word of God. Um, You may be seated, those that are in here. And I'm going to ask you to take your notes. Hopefully, you've printed those. If you're new to us this morning, you may not know that you can download the sermon notes in quite good detail Um, from our website. So I would encourage you to go ahead and download those and print those out, and that will help you greatly follow along, especially as we look at a couple of quotes um, from some key uh, individuals that help us think rightly about this issue of finding strength in God. And that really is going to be uh, the key emphasis that we come from Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. Now, as you're turning in your Bible to chapter 4, I just wanted to say this is the first time That we have been back in this room to preach the gospel, albeit without the vast majority of the church, just a handful of people here. Um, But this is the first time in the history of this church that this room went any even a consecutive Sunday without a worship service being in this room. Do you know that it has been five months since we preached and sang and studied in this room? These have truly been disturbing days. The over 180 excuse me, over 120 days um, since we've been here, uh, just a, a very, very dramatic shift in our lives. And so if there's ever been a time when our peace has been tested, we could certainly say it's been over these last few months. This has not been experienced in the lifetime of 99.9% of the people on the planet um, since the last uh, 1918 pandemic. And not only this issue, but also the other issues of our society and our world, of uh, wide-ranging and some very intense. I believe as God's people, we have this glorious opportunity to look deeply at what God says about how to have true contentment and true peace. Just a few weeks ago, we looked at those beautiful passages from this chapter, in chapter 4 and verse 4, where it says, Don't be anxious for anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. That the Christian, whether like Paul, he's in prison, or like the Philippian church, they're under persecution as well, and going through financial difficulty, going through a societal problem, in the city of Philippi, no matter the circumstance, Paul is saying, you don't have to be anxious. Because of Christ, whatever the circumstance you find yourself, you can seek, and seek his peace and his joy. Well, we've been looking at this issue of being truly content. If you have your notes, notice with me there, the keys to being truly content, this is part two, as we look at five keys. And this morning, we're just going to look at One key, we've already looked at key one and two, we're going to look at key three, next Sunday we'll look at key four and five. But notice on your outline here, the passage of scripture is Philippians chapter chapter four, and we're going to really uh, just focus on verse 13, though we've included verse 10, 11, and 12 from last week. So uh, just as a review, look at verse 10. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Verse 11, but not, not that I am see, speaking of being in need, for I have learned whatever situation I am, I am to be content. Verse 12, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the what? The secret, circle that word, the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then look at verse 13. Let's read it out loud together. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So last week we looked at number one, a contented person is confident in God's providence. We see that because Paul didn't know they were sending a gift. Paul didn't know the Philippian church was was reaching out to him way over in Rome. He didn't know what was coming, but even when he didn't know what was coming, he was at peace and he was joyful that God was working in their lives. And that when he noticed and found that Paphroditus shows up with a gift, he's saying, wow, God always cares for me. And that is one of the great things. If you want to be content in this world, you need to understand that God is providentially working in our lives and he provides for us. And we need to be confident in that. Number two. A contented person is satisfied with little. And we see that here in the Apostle Paul's life. He says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Look at verse 12. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned, there it is, I have learned the secret of facing plenty And hunger, abundance, and need. And so, people who have an insatiable desire for more, and whatever that means more materials, more money, more fame, more peace, more security, more any of these things people who cannot be satisfied um, with what they have, we find they're never gonna be happy. And so, contentment comes from seeing that God provides. Seeing that God provides what we need. Now we come to verse three, excuse me, verse 13, and it's number three in our outline. This is new to us this morning. A contented person, fill this in, is strengthened by divine power. If if we look at those who are truly content, we see that their lives are drawing on the power of God. Their lives are not being lived in their own strength. To do the things that may be even very difficult, like rejoicing in a prison cell, rejoicing being chained to a guard, or rejoicing through various struggles that whatever the world may throw at us, we see that divine power is what God gives. Now, verse 13, if I were to be able to do a true uh, uh, survey of the whole church right now and were to ask, how many of you have ever had Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13 perhaps on a wall plaque in your office or a wall plaque in your home or uh, maybe it's been on a bookmarker or something like that. Philippians 4.13 is one of the most popularly quoted verses in all of the Bible. Um, And for many of us, these words bring great hope and great joy and they should. But we need to know exactly what is the proper understanding of it because the world that loves to come along to Christianity and the truths of the Bible and pick and choose certain things that it likes is very good at picking this verse. Um, in fact, I remember uh, seeing this in my high school graduation uh, yearbook. You, know, you get the yearbook and the yearbook gets passed around to all of your friends. And perhaps the most uh, inscribed note and the most inscribed passage in my yearbook was Philippians 4.13. Everybody seemed to, to mark that when You know, we like that. You're thinking about the rest of your life. You're thinking about graduating from high school and going on to whatever it is that you're going to do, getting a job or going on to college or whatever it may be. And for very often, this is a very optimistic verse about, you know, go out there and do it. Look what it says there in verse 13. It certainly seems that way. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. But let me warn you that few verses of the Bible have been more abused or misquoted than this verse, than Philippians 4.13. You know, we do always want strength. We always want power. We needed to make it through the days in which we live But as I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about this idea that even Christians sometimes succumb to a a misunderstanding of this passage, I was thinking about one of my earliest memories of sitting on a couch with my parents or my grandparents and looking at this book. How many of you remember this book? Do you remember this book? Maybe the cover changed somewhere along the way. Uh, when you were growing up, but this is the cover from 1945. So this this story first made it out in the 1930s. So even my parents, who were born in 1939, um, would have would have possibly had this shared with them. Uh, by 1945, uh, Waddy Piper had, had it illustrated like this. And you know what is the story of this? It's the little engine that could. You know, and do you remember what he's doing, what he's saying as he's going up the hill? What What is he saying? I, Exactly. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. And you know, every parent wants their child to grow in their self-confidence. Every parent wants their child to see that they can do things. They can accomplish things. But you know, that's not the message of Philippians 4.13. Look at the next one here. How about this one? Fast forward to 1950. In 1950, comes out this wonderful uh, cartoon. Many of you remember this as a kid growing up. Um, and who is this guy? This is exactly this is Popeye, and Popeye the Sailor Man does what only a sailor can. And you know, he he is able to do all of his all of his strength and everything else because he eats me spinach, right? And so he takes his spinach, and then he suddenly has superpower. He has the power. He has the strength that he needs. Well, in a more modern sense, some of you sci-fi nuts may remember the NSEA Protector. And the NSEA, the crew of the NSEA Protector finds themselves in circumstance after circumstance where they need strength. And here they're trying to get a door open to save people's lives that don't have oxygen. And what is this from? This is from Galaxy Quest, right? So Galaxy Quest, great film and uh, bastion of wisdom and as they go they are sitting there and they they have this chant that they do they have the maktar chant of strength the maktar chant of strength that gives them power and it's this it's larak tarath larak tarath larak they would chant this and that's where they would get their power and their strength well some people look at philippians four thirteen as the maktar chant of strength trying to get the energy, get the strength, get the screw up the courage to do what they have to do. But we need to be very careful that we do not misunderstand that this is not about our ability. This is not about our strength. If we really look at what the verse is saying, we we will understand far better what it does. So notice this and fill this in. Notice what the verse does not say. Notice what it does not say. It does not say, I can do all things. Some of you would say, well, yes, it does. It's right there in black and white. We need to be very careful about understanding the whole truth. And that's how it is about a lot of things in life. The statement to, to come away from this saying, I can do all things, is patently false. And it's not what this verse is saying. What this verse is saying, and so if you would just cross out, I can do all things, they're on your outline. The second thing that we need to notice is, notice the true context of the verse. Verse 13, what comes before it and what comes after it? By the way, that can can protect you from abusing verses, misquoting verses, or listen to this, being led astray into false doctrine. There are many people that look at passages of the Scripture, they lift them out of context, and when they're lifted out of context, they mislead and misguide and very often deceive. Deceive. Notice that the true context of this passage is found in verses 10, 11, and 12. We've we've just read that. He's talking about the fact that he was depending upon God, and even before the gift came, he was depending on the providence of God, and he was saying, look, your gift came, and yet God, he was providing all the time through you to me. And then he says, and I don't really have any needs because I have been given grace to have much sometimes and i have been given grace to be content with very little. And so that is the context of what can he do? He can be he can be faithful to god with much or with little. Fill these in. Not in the context of personal gain. That's not what this is about. And yet so often when we quote Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, when many people do, they are referring to personal gain. But instead, notice this, hopefully you filled it in, but it's all about faithful service to Christ, not faithful service to yourself. Look at the next one. This is not in the context of worldly success, but in living faithfully with more or what? Less. This is, this is a vastly different view. When we, when we see the, the truth of Philippians 4.13, we come to see that God is saying, I can give you the strength to, do, uh, to, to be faithful even when you're tempted to not look at me because you have so much, or I can give you the strength to, to, do, to be faithful and to do well even when you are tempted to despair because you have so little. So Ecclesiastes 7.14 talks about this idea. Look what it says, Ecclesiastes 7.14. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. In the day of adversity, consider God has made the the one as well as the other. So days of great blessing come from the Lord. And listen, days of great difficulty and perhaps lacking, so it seems, also come from the Lord. He has a purpose in all of this. Philippians 34 and verse 1, notice what it says. I will bless the Lord, circle it, at all times. At all times. His praise shall continually, underline that, continually be in my mouth. First Thessalonians 5, 16 picks up on this as well. We, very similar to Philippians 4. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks and circle it, all circumstances, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So, so what is this verse actually saying? Let's look and see what it's actually saying. Flip the page there and notice, you see what it does say, what it does say is this, I can do all things, and then look what it says, through him who strengthens me. So the strength is not in myself. The true strength of the things that really matter is all found in Christ. Why? Because he gives us strength to obey him. He gives us strength to glorify him. I love 1 Peter four eleven. I remember that Marcy and I were home from the mission field um, in December celebrating family, uh, celebrating Christmas with family and New Year's. And we we're out in Oklahoma, and um, as we often do, we spend time at the end of the year praying about the next year, praying about the upcoming year. And um, obviously not all of us were praying enough about this year, um, so we probably need to go back to it. No, I'm just kidding. But, um, you know, 220 has needed a lot more prayer. I think that somebody said to me this week, why did we say Happy New Year, uh, you know, a few months ago? Um, it, it was a great desire. But on that... On that New Year's Eve, um, Marcy and I were praying, and we were praying that God would give us a verse for the coming year. And 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 11 was the verse that he gave. We, we had no idea that we were going to come into such difficulty on the mission field that year, um, but indeed God had just provided for this, and he, had, and he had given the strength. Look what it says, great verse. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the what? the utterances of God. You could write above that the oracles of God or the very words of God. So the idea is is that whoever's preaching, whoever's teaching, whoever is discipling and they're instructing, make sure that your words are God's words. Make sure that you're not making this stuff up. Make sure that you're sticking with God's truth, not human wisdom not human perspective. So whoever speaks is to, is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. And then look at the next one. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving, I love this, by the strength which God supplies. So it's not in your own strength, not in my own strength we are to be obeying God. It's in God's strength right out there to the side. Galatians two twenty, Galatians for I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in, faith, now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. Beautiful picture of this whole thing. So we see this in Philippians 4.13, that this is all about God in us. It's not about you trying to do better. It's not about you trying to have enough strength. It's not about you trying to have enough energy, enough wisdom. This is all about God's Word, God's Spirit in you living out the Christian life. Notice this, fill it in, an abundance of God's strength. An abundance of God's strength in our lives brings great contentment. We need God's strength. And when we have much of God's strength, we can say, like Paul, hey, I've learned that in the times of plenty, and I've learned in the times of, of not so much, to be content. How about this next bullet point? Fill this in, very important. A lack of God's strength in our lives brings spiritual discouragement. It can bring spiritual discontentment. Not contentment, but discontentment. It can bring spiritual depression if we don't have God's strength in our life. And it's possible that it can bring spiritual failure. Total failure. I mean, even all the way to the point of apostasy. And so what we want want to, you say apostasy, what does that mean? That, That means leaving the Lord. It means, it means walking away from the gospel. And so what we want to do as God's people is to say, well, I don't want a lack of his strength in my life. I want an abundance of his strength in my life because Philippians 4.13 is showing me and 10, 11, and 12 are showing me that this is, this is how God helps us through the good times and the hard times is that it's God, not me. Now, there's some key passages about God's strength in our lives. Let these pour over you. Let these encourage you. I've already mentioned Galatians 2.20, but look at Isaiah chapter 40, verse 29. And it is interesting. This is another one that you might find on a living room wall. And very appropriately, look what it says. The Lord does what? Underline it. What does he do? He gives power to the faint. This is what God does. He knows we're weak. He, the Lord gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Can you just say, amen? The one who has no hope, the one who has no strength, the Lord is saying, I'm going to give you strength. And then look at verse 30. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. You say, Wow. What does that mean? Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. Here's the idea, that even the young who are typically strong can get worn out. And so even the, even the young lion can go hungry, or Psalm 34 says. And here we see Isaiah 40 is saying, the young man, the young man who seems to be so strong and full of strength, he Can fall exhausted. And then look at verse 31. Circle the word but. But they who wait for the Lord shall what? Renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So here we see that God loves to give power to the faint, He loves to give strength to those who have no might. Even the young, he can come, and far better than being young, he can be the power for our strength. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 10. This is a great example in the Paul in the Apostle Paul's life. Beautiful picture. Look what he says in verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation. So he's he's preaching a lot, he's teaching a lot, and I mean God is really using him. And so in order to keep him from being too prideful, you see this was God protecting him from himself. Um, Look what it says. So to keep me from becoming conceited, thinking highly of myself, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, Verse 9, but he has said to me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, and then look what it says, for what? My power, circle those two words, my power, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Look at the end of verse 9. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ then, I am, look what it says, I've made it bold, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for, let's read it out loud together, for when I am weak, then I am strong. So the picture of, of life in Christ is that this isn't about your strength. This isn't about my strength. This is all about God's strength so that God gets the glory. That's what we saw in, a fee, in 1 Peter chapter 4 up there at the top. It was so that in all things God would be glorified in 1 Peter 4 11. And here we see that this is all about for God's glory so that we can't take credit for it. But it's by faith that he blesses this. So Look at the last one here, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 16 and verse 20. Another great picture of us understanding how this strength thing works with God. Look at verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you, look what it says, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. You see, he's he's just continuing to lay out here that God is the source of our strength in our inner being, in our inward self. Look at verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Now, is his power at work within you? Or do you just have your power? Are you seeking to live your life? Are you seeking to do all of the things of life in your own strength? Or are you learning to depend upon his strength? This is a key issue for us. This this is an issue that, that defines the difference between a very weak Christian and a very mature and powerful Christian. That if you want to live the Christian life faithfully, if you want God to control your actions, your thoughts, the inclinations of your heart, if you want to tame your tongue, oh, that's a tough one, right? Tame your tongue. These things that, that seem to be so impossible to us, well, they really are impossible in ourselves. But if there is grace and victory to be had, it is going to all come from God. Flip the page. I want you to see some key quotes here. We, we want to see how God's strength can come to our lives. How you can actually experience the strength in your circumstance, in your life, dealing with the troubles and the, the struggles that you have. And maybe one of the greatest troubles that you have is that you have been blessed with much in this life. You say, well, wait a minute, that doesn't sound like too much of a struggle. I'd I'd like to struggle with that. Well, uh, not necessarily. Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a wealthy person to make it into heaven. And why is that? It's because our wealth can deceive us. Our wealth can cause us to think everything's okay. Our wealth can cause us to uh, love things that are temporal as opposed to the things that are eternal. And so, even in the circumstance of having much, we need the strength of God to truly deal with that in a godly way. But what about those who have very little? Life can be very hard. I mean, poverty can be harder. Broken relationships can be very hard. There there can be a great deal of loneliness or or misguided nature of things, and and we, we want God's strength to deal with that. Whether it be either one, contentment, fill this in, contentment belongs to those who confidently trust in God's power, not their own. It's a very important thing that we learn to shift from trusting in our power to trusting in God's, and that's what we see in the life of the Apostle Paul. Last week we quoted Jeremiah Burroughs, an ancient Puritan guy, 1599 to 1646 he only lived to be 47 years old he was in England and um, he was the one who wrote this book the rare jewel of Christian contentment Um, somebody sent me a a message this week and said look what just arrived in the mail so they had gone and they had ordered this and um, this this is available to you but um, it is, it is a, a book several hundred years old. But look what Jeremiah Burroughs writes. And I've included this quote here because I really want you to see it. A Christian finds satisfaction in every circumstance by getting strength from another. Not from himself, but from another. By looking beyond himself to Jesus Christ by his his faith acting upon Christ and bringing the strength of Jesus Christ into his own soul. He is therefore enabled to bear whatever God lays on him by the strength that he finds from Jesus. There is strength in Christ not only to sanctify and save us, but there is strength Notice this, there is strength to support us under all our burdens and afflictions. And Christ expects that we are under, excuse me, and Christ expects that when we are under any burden, burden, we should exert our faith upon him to draw the virtue and the strength that we need from him. So this, this Puritan understands this picture. He is writing to us saying that Christ is sufficient for all of these things, and this is what a Christian has to do, is to draw upon the strength of Christ, not themselves. There are so many people that have walked away from the Christian life because they say, I just can't do that. You know, when God was handing out holiness, he didn't hand out any to me apparently, I I just can't seem to get it together. You know, my brother, my sister can, others can. And quite honestly, I felt that way. My older brother was really walking with the Lord. Had gone off to college. My older sister was really walking with the Lord. And I remember being on the phone one night from Florida State Talking to my sister, I mean, I was, I was seeking to walk with the Lord. I, I really had made that decision when I was in South Broward High School in the midst of my senior year. Got to Florida State, really wanting to walk with the Lord. And I just had met the enemy and found the enemy to be me. And I remember late one night talking on the phone um, with Kelly. Uh, very similar conversation with my own mom. And just said, I just can't do this. I just can't do this. I, I remember that both of them said to me, you're right, you can't. You can't. But God can. God can in you. And those, that conversation through that biblical advice perhaps saved my faith. That this is God in me overcoming these things within and without that would seek to destroy my faith. Important note, only those, fill this in, only those who live lives of obedience to God can expect His power to sustain them. See, if you're being disobedient to God, it's unlikely you're going to have His power. I mean, I have a question here. Why should God strengthen His children to disobey Him? And normally, He doesn't. Normally, He doesn't do this. You see, continued sin leads to a pit of despair not contentment. So if you're, if you're kind of running in your sin, you're not, you're not drawing upon God's power, you're not, you're not looking to him, let me tell you that that's, that's a good prescription for misery. And um, how do I know that? Because I am there sometimes. You know, I, I, I find myself miserable because I'm trying to do what God's called me to do in my strength and not in his strength. I'm trying to be holy in my strength and not in his strength. And that's a place of misery because it's a a failure. You can't do it. And this is, again, part of the reason that many will walk away from faith in God because no one has looked at them and discipled them and told them that, no, the Word of God says that you're right. You can't do it. That's why God has given you his Holy Spirit so you can do it. So we, we want to see what he does in this. Notice here with me. Normally God doesn't give this, but he leads us out of this. Look at this. But sometimes if he does give you the strength to disobey him, it is to chastise you. That's what he does. He chastises us with our own determination to do things in our own way. In mercy, sometimes God lovingly adds to the pain so that we will repent and turn back to him. It's very similar to the way Billy and Jesse Johns would look at Nathan, who plays our piano every, every Sunday, and his four brothers and sisters, that, that there's times when God, uh, excuse me, Billy and Jesse would inflict pain upon this really sharp young man that's in pharmacy school. But Nathan needed to be trained. And a lot of times it was through encouragement, but sometimes it was through chastisement. As he was learning what is right and what is wrong, and in love, his parents disciplined him. And the same thing, Scripture tells us that whom the Lord loves, he what? He chastens. And so God... God sometimes, is. you're determined to run in your own strength, God sometimes will chasten you, and it may be to save your soul from unbelief. It may be to save you from running from God. There's another person who has a lot to say about this issue of finding strength, and I I love Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones. He's one of my heroes. Many of you know that Charles Haddon Spurgeon was a pastor in London, and he's one of my heroes. But after Charles Haddon Spurgeon was was and his ministry was so popular, a man named Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones was popular. And what was interesting about Lloyd Jones was this: that he was born in 1899, so um, quite a bit after um, uh, Spurgeon and, and others, and yet he died in 1981, um, and He was a medical doctor for the king's family. So he was a royal medical doctor. I mean, we're talking an advanced man, a man of great intellect. And he walked away from all of the notoriety of being a royal doctor and he became a pastor. He loved the Word of God, and he was a gifted teacher. And what was so interesting was he left there, and he went to a city that was not known for wealth to be a pastor. He went to a city in Wales that, had, that was full of miners, people who would mine uh, materials out of the mines nearby, And he became the pastor of a church there. And what was very interesting was, in a rather short amount of time, as he was faithfully teaching the Bible, expositionally, verse by verse, the church not only filled with people, but the streets were filled. And eventually, they would put speakers outside the church because thousands of people would come and stand in the streets to hear Martin Lloyd-Jones preach. It wasn't long before he left uh, Cardiff, and he moved uh, to London, and he became the pastor of Westminster Chapel, not Westminster Abbey, Church, but Westminster Chapel. And uh, he stayed there for many years preaching and teaching the Word of God, verse by verse. And look at one of the books that he wrote, and it's right here on your outline. The, Spiritual Depre- the, the title of the book is Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Cure. And in this book, he compares the flow of God's power into the life of the believer with the issue of physical health. So he's both a a medical doctor commenting on this, and he's a spiritual doctor commenting on this, and he does well with this. I want you to see this quote. The whole subject of power in one's life as a Christian is similar to the issue of physical health. One cannot suddenly have it. It comes from a way of life. Good health most of the most of the time comes from right living. And say, and I say exactly the same thing about this question of God's power in Christian lives. So he's saying, as you learn to walk with God, his power is going to be on your life, as you're faithful to him in obedience. Look what he says here in the next paragraph. I can summarize this issue like this. this the secret of God's power is to discover and to learn from the New Testament what is possible for us in Christ. So go and learn of Christ. What I have to do is to go to Christ. i must. speak spend my time with him i must meditate upon him i must get to know him that was paul's ambition that i may know him he writes i must maintain my contact and communion with christ and i must concentrate on knowing him look at the next paragraph what else i must do exactly what he tells me so not only to know him but to obey him. I must do exactly what he tells me. I must avoid things that would hamper. If in the midst of persecution, we want to feel as Paul felt in Philippians, we must live as Paul lived. I must do what he tells me both to do and not to do. I must read the Bible. I must live it out. I must practice the Christian life. I must live the Christian life in all of its fullness. This is how the power of God comes, and with it, true contentment. So, do you want the contentment that God can give that this world can't give? It has to do with trusting in his providence. It has to do with resting in the fact that he's at work and he knows what he's doing. And it has to do with being satisfied with him. We've just sung about that. Take this world. My God is enough. And so it, it's not in my physical circumstances around me. And it also is in learning that any power that I have is it's going to come from God, not from me. You see, Satan just wants you to trust in yourself. Keep, keep being the little engine that could. He wants you to be looking for the spinach can of somehow making it through the day, making it through the week, making it through your life. He wants you to chant something that's, you know, by Grapthar's hammer, you know, we're going to do it by main strength. I mean, it's going to be all about you. And Jesus is saying something fundamentally different. Jesus says, come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's saying, come and let me give you my strength to do what I am calling you to do. Key questions for you as we close. Do you sense God's power flowing through your life? I want you to think about that question. I want you to think about your days. Maybe you need to just close your eyes right now. Do I I feel God's power? Do I think about that? on a regular basis do I notice God at work in me can I say I know that God is working in my life I see him working in my life here's some other questions that help you evaluate that is there victory in your life is there victory over sin is there fruit in your life Is there evidence that he is working? Is there spiritual things happening? Is there new ground being gained? Is there there his kingdom growing because you're in it? Or is there drought? Is there perhaps a numbness? Maybe you're discouraged spiritually. You see, the question of is God's Power flowing for your life—it can be encouraging. You see, if you would say, "No, I, I do see Him working in my life. I do see Him affecting His kingdom in me, and and I recognize it's Him and not me." Some some people who are listening to this message would say, "Praise God! He is so good. He is so gracious. I'm such a worm, and He's so powerful. He's changing me. He's working in me, and I and I see that day in and day out." See you. You can ask the next question, if so, how does that recognition encourage you that his power is working through you? I I think that that can be very encouraging when you stop and look and say, that's God, that's God, that's God. See, that can be very encouraging. But what about this? If his power is not flowing through your life, if not, you need to ask another question. What are you doing and or not doing? So it has to do with what Martin Lloyd George is saying, I have to do some things and I have to not do other things. What are you doing or not doing that may be hindering God's work and His power in your life? I think that that's that's an important thing for you to stop and just kind of think about this week. I think it's a good thing for you to say, if, if I want to experience God's power like the Apostle Paul and like many of the Philippian church, what, what do I need to start doing and what do I need to stop doing? And most likely, even as I'm saying this, the Holy Spirit is telling you a few of those things. And I don't want to start naming them because I might miss yours. The Holy Spirit is very capable of applying this to your life perfectly. And I would just ask you, will you let him do that? God wants you to have his power. And he wants you to find the contentment of his power in your life. But I believe that the great question is, will you be still and know that he is God and worship him in spirit and in truth and obey him? You see, here's the question for you. What do you need to do in light of this message? What is it that you need to do? I'd like for us to take just a minute and pray about that. And I hope that you will take a lot more than just a minute and pray about that this week. I hope that you will ask, God, what are you doing through this study of Philippians in me? The world is on fire around me. People are very discontent. People are filled with fear. My heart sometimes embraces that, either in frustration or in pain or in fear. Lord, I want your power bringing your peace, and I want your power bringing your joy in me. That's a very valid thing for you to seek this week. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this morning that you would allow this word to radically upend our lives. I pray that you'd turn us over with this. Lord, I pray that my friends who have heard this word this morning would would really consider what do they need to do in their marriage, what do they need to do in their, their habits, what do they need to do in their parenting, what do they need to do in looking to you in allowing you to be the power and not themselves. Lord, this is all about you and you won't let it be about anything else for your children. And so Lord, I pray that we would get the message. I pray that we would hear the message. I pray that we would apply the message of saying, Lord, may we learn to live in you Lord, I I am so grateful that you promise that, Lord, when we find sin in our life, Lord, that we run to you, confess it, and forsake it. We leave it behind by your power and your strength, Lord, your grace. And we apply, Lord, the promises that you have made so that we can live a holy life. Lord, I pray that you would help us to do that this morning. I pray that you would help us to really look to you. And Lord, I pray that we would learn to trust in you in ways that we never have before. And I pray that the evidence would be that our hearts are clear and that, Lord, while the world may be on fire, Lord, our heart is fired with love for you and confidence in you. So, Lord, help us to be the people that you've called us to be in the midst of this earthly time. In Jesus' name amen. We're going to sing this great song again. I want to encourage you those that are here, stand and just sing this let these words pour over you and if you're at home this morning, you've already heard it once and I want to encourage you to just sing and let this be a prayer let this be a prayer to God of devotion to Him of commitment to Him of, of receiving Him in the midst of this time